Hello and welcome to episode 42 of Where Do We Begin? My name is Lucien Delfo and I'm a kinesthetic athlete selected for the 2020 Olympic Games. I'll tell you a little bit about my life and I hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks for that, Lucien. My name is Harper, my co-host for the second week running, getting a bit of a streak now. He's Lockie. How are you, Lockie? Setting records, mate. I'm absolutely wonderful. Thanks, Harper. How are you on this fine, beautiful day? Oh, thank you, Matt. I am just swell and even better, I've got to say, for your use of adjectives that you gave to the listeners. I love that. And I love even more this episode with Lucien Delfour. Excellent, excellent stuff. Uh, just a really interesting guy. And I've got to say, something I never thought I would say, with some of his canoeing chat, he really ruffled some feathers, I reckon. And if your feathers are particularly ruffled, if you found anything in this chat really interesting, remember to join the conversation, be a part of the community, because podcast, nothing about a good community, hashtag WDWB Olympics on Twitter or wherever you want. That's hashtag WDWB Olympics. Lockie, what else can you tell us about Lucien, Matt? Oh, mate, he will be meddling at the Olympics. He is an absolute star of his sport. It was an absolutely phenomenal to have him on into the chat. And you know what? I right, can we just get straight into it. What do you reckon, Harps? 100% agree. Let's go. Now, we've been doing the uh, podcast about 13, 14 months now, and when we started off, I definitely think it's fair to say we did not see ourselves getting a kayaker on the show, but that's what the Olympic series is doing for us. We love it, getting a whole different variety of sports, so I'm delighted to welcome onto the show guy who will be representing Australia, of course, at the upcoming Olympics, Lucien Dalfour. Welcome, Lucien. Thank you, mate. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely stoked to have you on, Lucien. What have you been up to? How's your Olympic preparation going? So we've been training pretty hard in the last few uh, few weeks. So now we're just about ready to go to Europe, actually. Yeah. So when are you heading over there? Uh, so I think I'm pretty sure we're leaving on the second of June. So that's the plan. Yeah. So we we head off to Prague. Um, we've got a walk up there, and then off to Leipzig for the second walk up. And then after that, we're not too sure, but it's about a couple of weeks. Um, a training somewhere, probably in France, and then off to Japan. Oh, well, that's unreal, mate. It looks like you've got a good schedule planned out in front of you. But before we get into that, I think we need to ask, and could you explain a little bit about your uh, sports? So for people that don't know, Lucien competes in the K1 event of the canoeing slalom. Is that how I pronounce it? Because I've got the worst pronunciation. No, it's all good. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I do. Uh, I do a lot that's a so yeah well i do canoe canoe slalom so specifically k1 which is kayak um so yeah so essentially um we we're on wide water um hence the slalom because we go through those gates um yeah it's a bit hard to explain (laughs) 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 but then yeah, how come you how come you got into the sport? Yeah, so um, it's essentially when I was young, my I can't remember if it was me uh, or my parents, but essentially I, I tried different sports. So I think I tried like basketball, maybe judo, and maybe some others. And didn't didn't just, yeah didn't really like them. And my dad like just got me to to start kayaking, and I just I just hated it. 
Um, so I tried it for a while, like, I don't know, a couple of months and I hated it. And I said like, that's, you know, that's it. I don't want to do it anymore. So after three months, like of staying at home, my dad, like just went and said, no, that's it. Like you're getting back in. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, dads are bloody, they are great like that. I think we all have stories like that. I hated sport when I was younger too, and I got forced to do it. And also just quietly, I could be wrong, but my eyes in the background, is that a, even if it's not, let's imagine it is. Is that a painting of Mount Fuji in the back in the background? Just really getting into the yeah, Japan yeah, spirit. Yeah, Jeez. My partner, yeah, my partner did it. Yeah. Oh, I'm love. I'm loving the energies. He's he's prepared for the Olympics. He's got he's got the one of the symbols of uh, Japan in the background. He's always preparing in halves. I think you have a follow up question. Yeah, and he's got the Paddle Australia shirt on as well for all the <laughs> listeners. So he's repping it with pride already. A couple of months before, but uh, just for the listeners again. Uh, I think they'll be interested in kind of clearing up the difference between K1 and all the other Ks. So what does K1 mean for um, canoeing or kayaking in the Olympics? So, yeah, so K stands for kayak and C, so C1 or C2 stands for canoe. Um, in in Canoe we don't have K2, so there's only K1. There's only one person per, per craft. Um, in, in the past, we used to have C2, so two people in, in one boat, um, but they got, um, yeah, they sort of like got dropped out of the, the games. Um, so now it's only, um, yeah, just C1s or K1s. Yeah, mate, that's absolutely, that's absolutely unreal. And you're, you're telling us off air the difference between canoeing and kayaking. Is it, is that, um, is it kayaking you're on your knees or is it canoeing? Is it the other way around? So, so yeah, so canoeing, you you're actually kneeling, so you're on your knees, and it's pretty uncomfortable. Yeah, I can, I can imagine. Oh, I reckon your hip flexors would burn up. Oh, <laughs> that is time, not a comfortable. Time. That is not a comfortable position. I, I reckon. I don't even. Yeah, I could not. I can't even cross my legs. I reckon anymore. I don't know how I used to do it back in primary school. <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah, I think. I think we've covered off on kind of explaining the sport, which was something that we've been doing for all our Olympian guests so far. Uh, I think the guests will be grateful to have it all cleared up. But now we've uh, focused on we've focused on that. But I uh, want to move the focus. Uh, we sometimes ask guests about their early life, and most it's a kind of mundane answer. Not going to lie, like it's just like growing up in Melbourne, growing growing up in Sydney, whatever. But you are from the island of Tahiti and Papi Uh I believe. Uh, I'm probably messing out that pronouncer just like Lockie on Slalom. Uh, but <laughs> that, that's a bit of an interesting one. So French Polynesia, hey? Yeah, I know. It's, it's pretty bizarre. But so, so essentially uh, my dad was on there. Um, my dad was a teacher. So they got the thing in France, like they um, they had this deal where they, you could get a contract for like a certain amount of time in like overseas, so French Polynesia, for example. So he had a four-year contract in, in Tahiti. So I just, well, I was just born there really. Like, um, yeah, we stayed there. I think I, I left. When we left, I was I would have been like four or three and a half, whatever. So I don't, I don't actually remember much of it. <laughs> yeah. So you left, to, you left to France? Yeah, so we, we, we went back to France. And then, so I grew up in the south, like a southwest of France in in the countryside, it was pretty boring, to be honest. Like, <laughs> oh, don't, don't worry, shout though. out to the town yeah. there. A bit boring. <laughs> a bit boring. What's the town called? In in France. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it was called Air. Um, 
Esolador, like it's, it's a long name, but yeah, it was pretty tiny. Like it, it really was a small town. And then when I was 15, yeah, I would have been 15, I moved to Po, which is um, was about like an hour away and it was a much bigger town. And, um, it was boring. It was, yeah, it wasn't as boring, but it, it also it was pretty good for training there, so... Well, I don't know about you, Harp, so I'm sure our listeners, they'll be wanting to check out these towns. Lucian has given them his, a big endorsement. I want, I'm, I'm jumping through the walls. I'm, I want to be getting there. And I'll tell you what, and uh, on Papiti or however you pronounce it, I'll tell you what, I reckon after these, Olymp- these Olympics, uh, Lucian, you're going to put it on the map. The, yeah. the sport of uh, canoe, I'm not going to pronounce the next one. <laughs> I don't want to stuff it up again. <laughs> Yeah, um, anyway, I'm looking forward to getting all that hate mail from uh, the residents of that small French town. Uh, <laughs> that'll be <laughs> very nice. But um, so, obviously, uh, canoeing, it's not exactly the biggest sport in the world, nothing like it. Uh, so, uh, you're part of the AIS, I believe. Uh, so, you, you're not self-funded like some uh, canoers in or kayakers in uh, Europe especially? Well, actually... Well, in Europe, it's a bit, you know, it's a bit of a, yeah, mixed bag because you've got athletes. So it's essentially like Germany, Italy, um, Austria, and a couple of others. They they've got the uh, this deal with the army where you know they join the army and they essentially get paid like full time. Um, that system actually in France doesn't exist, and I, that was pretty poor, really. It was yeah, pretty shitty. Uh, in Australia, we. So we get money from the government, but that also depends on your results. So um, to get decent, like decent funding, you got to be top eight at the world. So um, it's pretty, yeah, pretty competitive then. <laughs> it's pretty competitive, especially yeah. since you would have seen, like you would have seen videos of slalom, uh, can you slalom, and you know how like it can go to shit like pretty quickly. Um, it's, it's not like in all the sports you you have a little bit of consistency. Uh, whereas in Salama, it's it's always a bit of a um, you know this bit of a gamble. So I'm not saying like you can't you can't perform, but um, it's it's always hard to guarantee a, a good result. So does that mean that you're working as well as because I know we spoke to a boxer last week and he's working as an electrician? Are you um, training full time or do you also have a job? I'm like, I'm lucky enough to be able to train full time, and I've been I've been training full time actually since uh, 2012. Oh, that's oh awesome. wow! Yeah. yeah, that's great. But you've also we saw that you've uh, started studying at the end of last year, doing a little certificate. Yeah, yeah, I did. So I finished that a what a, like three four weeks ago. Yeah. How did you find that getting back on the books? Yeah, it was look, it was, it, it could have been worse. Um, <laughs> it's a bit it's a bit challenging. I'm doing you know doing all the uh, the assignments, um, but. Yeah, some of it was, you know, fairly enjoyable and I did learn, you know, a few things. So, no, it was good, yeah. So, what was it? Was it sports coaching? Yeah, sports coaching, yeah. Um, and luckily, luckily it was six months, you know, like it wasn't like a full year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. But um, something else that we've been focusing on in this Olympics series, it's really interesting uh, for Lockie and I, we like, kind of just enjoy the really uh, normal sports, you know, footy, cricket, bit of soccer here and there, basic. We're basic blokes. We're basic blokes. (laughs) Exactly. We're (laughs) We're simpletons. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, it's been really interesting to get to know the kind of training routines of uh, uh, athletes from taekwondo, boxing, and canoeing, of course. So 
what what goes um, into kind of weekly routine for you? What, what do you focus on? Obviously, being full time uh, takes up all of your work. Yeah. So, um, so as you mentioned earlier, we we train um, we train in Penrith on the two thousand Olympic course, um, and it, it, it's one of the main issues. So that course uses um, pumps to to get the water flowing. Um, which costs a lot of money. So we 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 are quite restricted when it comes you know when it comes to training. So we've got like an hour, an hour fifteen every day, and that's like during the the summer usually because you know because of the games now we've got a little bit more access to wild water. Um, we have like a session almost a, yeah pretty much a session every day. Um, during the off season we have like three, four sessions of wild water and the rest, like the rest is just like flower water, like training on flower water. So doing the mostly like physical, you know, fitness session and then sometime, yeah, two, three, maybe four sessions in, in the gym. Yeah, and I've, I've noticed that you sometimes have to make do. So I saw that when you were getting your boats prepared for the Olympics down in Melbourne, you actually you had to go down just to the river and ha- set up a little course down there. You have to make the most of the elements, don't you? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 the biggest issue with our sport, like the uh, the actual access to wild water. So um, building a course, a wild water course, that like, costs just so much money. And in down in Melbourne, they, they're just – they don't have that luxury, unfortunately. Uh, so they have to make do with a much smaller river. Um, but having said that, like for, like for me, it wasn't too bad, you know, for two weeks to do a bit of, you know, a bit of flood water or a bit of like, moving water. But, um, yeah, when you have to do that all year, there's, yeah, it really sucks. Oh, damn. Well, it sounds like it, Harp. Sounds like we, we won't be uh, get, <laughs> be getting the chance to do this sport down in Melbourne. Not, that's disappointing. I was really looking forward to training for the – will be 2024 Olympics or 2025. <laughs> I don't know what, how they're going about it. But you touched on it a little bit before about how you do like a gym program and stuff. So what is actually like the physical training, like away from necessarily just like actually like practicing the sport? Like what's sort of like the gym routine and I guess the fitness that you have to like keep up with the sport? Because I can imagine it's quite physical. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you said you said it's, it's pretty physical. Um, the thing with slalom is you got to because it's so technical. It is physical, but it's so technical. You need you need to 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 be able to balance it out because if you work too hard in the gym, you're gonna pedal like shit. Um, and that's okay for a short time, but long term, like you need to to make sure you don't pedal too too bad for a long period of time, so your technique doesn't go to shit. But um, having said that, like you do a fair bit of strength in the gym because like if you want to be able to to lift like more than your body weight, obviously. Don't worry, I've seen the Instagrams, I've seen you smashing out hundred on the bench. Don't you worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> it took me years to do that. Like for a lot of people it's much easier, but it took me years. <laughs> but yeah, so is it like sort of like I know like in other sports where you have to like do you have to keep under a certain weight just so that you're like you're lighter in the canoe or is weight less of an issue? Yeah, no, you're right. So, um, so if you Google a uh, to get a picture of the boats, you, you'll notice they the boats look like a banana. So we call that a rocker. So just like a surfboard. And because our boats, our crafts have got so much rocker, we we subject to to body weight. 
Um, so the, the, the heavier the, the you are, like the, the more drag you get. Um, and that's true for any kind of craft on the water, but it's even more so for our boats. Um, and because you are, we, we do wild water and a lot of like start and stop, the heavier you are, like the more, you know, the harder it is essentially. Yeah. And I imagine that, uh, like kayaking, it's not, uh, hasn't got a huge community, especially in Australia compared to a Europe or something. Of course, uh, you spoke about on another podcast, how Europe, that it's just kayaking is just a much bigger thing because they've got just rivers all over the place and it's just massive compared to here. But um, do you feel kind of especially bonded with your uh, your Olympic teammates or, or teammates in general for Australia? Because uh, I know Daniel Watkins is uh, the other man uh, competing with you and Jessica Fox as well for the women. So do you feel especially bonded with them uh, because it's a small community, I guess? Yeah, I'll, I'll say yes. Um, the yeah, the community is so small. Like it's even uh, to be honest. Like we, I I, I, would, I would say we get to know the, the younger kids a lot better as well. Um, so I remember my time in France as you know as a junior or even younger. You didn't really get to talk to the you know the top dogs at all. Like you wouldn't see it in the first place, but you never really talked to them. I think that's the good thing we have here. That it's much smaller community, like you said, and you, if well, if you want to, but normally you you get to spend a bit of time with the uh, with the juniors, and some of the juniors are you know allowed on our sessions sometimes. So um, it's up to you, but you know if if you want to, you can you know take up that role of. of yeah, mentor like men- and mentoring. Yeah, I'll tell yeah. You, I'd be nervous if I'm like a 12 year old and I'm looking and next to me is a, the buddy <laughs> like that's going to the Olympics and I'm. Trying- <laughs> well, that's that's unreal, and I love how in sports like that, how like you have the access to like the champions of the sport, like you can like through the younger age groups. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean you're right. Like when when I was a kid, I I didn't have that, and I just looking back, I, I just find it frustrating. Like the kids here can be can be quite lucky really because if they want to they can have access or they can talk to, to some real good palace if, if if they want to yeah yeah so i touched on uh france briefly there so what's the culture of kayaking like over there completely different to here um so yeah how, how did you kind of find it growing up in a much more uh kind of hustle bustle kind of environment of in terms of kayaking in france yeah, it is a much bigger sport. Um, I mean, there's like, you know, there's quite a few rivers, so that helps. Um, clubs. And then I think that the reason it works better as well is the, the club structure in France is an actual club structure. Like, you can join a club for a certain fee, but then you get free, essentially like free, I wouldn't call it coaching. It will be coaching in some clubs, but you get support in some way so um yeah like it depends on the clubs i guess but at least you get like a couple of sessions a week but that, that's how i started um so the clubs actually work uh whereas they, they don't really heat and that's i think they're our main main issue or one of our main issues but um and then i think the level because there's so many more pellets the level is so much higher at a younger age um, so when like you, you compete nationals, like the junior nationals, you, you compete against like a hundred juniors. 
uh, whereas he is like 20. Yeah, um, and that's yeah, it's interesting hearing those um, different systems and how you've experienced both. And I think what's something that's even more interesting for the listeners is that is that you've actually represented both Australia, who you're representing at the upcoming Olympics, and you've represented France in the junior in the junior level. So could you speak a little bit bit about that? How can we start off representing France and why you decided to make the switch to Australia? Um, yeah, so I raced for France at the junior worlds and. Um, the Euros in 2006. Um, won a silver medal. Don't, don't be modest. Don't forget you won yeah, the silver yeah. medal in the junior chance. Can't be leaving that out. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, that was that was a highlight. I was uh, I was yeah I was pretty proud of that. Um, and then the year the year after I wasn't about six seven months after um, because I had the best results. Um, out of the the other K ones, uh, I was allowed to to compete at the uh, Youth Olympic Games in in Sydney. Um, so that was, I think that was Jan two thousand seven, and I just like blew my mind. Um, yeah. It was actually it was my first time out of Europe, like because when I was I was fairly young, I hadn't really travelled, so we got sent like to Australia, <laughs> and just yeah, like. I know, like, we, we stayed in Penrith, was, you know, which kind of sucked at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite the um, nightlife out, out in Penrith. <laughs> it was still, it was still like, it was still better than, than, than Poe, like, especially in winter. <laughs> You're just smashing into these French towns. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, Poe po, po is a pretty sweet town. Like, it, it is nice, but in winter, like, it's still cold. Um, so we got here. In Jan, like middle of you know middle of summer, and we got to race the Youth Olympic Games. So we had such a good time, and I was like, "Fuck, I just you know, I need to come back here." So I finished my studies, came back here, and that's when I decided to to race for Australia. Wow, that, that's really amazing. That kind of um, it sounds like a bit of a snap decision to um, move to Australia and represent Australia. Even am I correct in saying that? Yeah, oh, you're right. And I mean, looking back, I'm like, that's that's crazy. But I don't know. At the time, it was it was like crystal clear. I, I knew I knew that's what I wanted to do. I knew that was that was just yeah. It was what I had to do, and I just did it. Uh, looking back, I'm like, no, that that was crazy. I was only like 20, 21, moved here on my own. Um, but I did have support um, to make the move. Uh, I just yeah. If my child had to do that, like I'll be I'll be scared. <laughs> no. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, I think everyone really agrees with you there. But do you, do you think, uh, looking back at it now, do you think what it would have been like representing France? It's probably a more competitive uh, kind of uh, level, so it's probably much harder to get to the Olympics representing France and Australia. So do you, do you look back and think uh, kind of what could have been if you were representing France now? Yeah, I think it would have been uh, – yeah, it's definitely harder. Like the density is so much higher. Um, but whenever I do race in France, like I'm pretty competitive with the, the other French guys. So I would have, I think I would have had my chance there for sure. Um, but I think living and competing in France is quite hard. And just because of the funding thing, for example, like it's just, it's, it is terrible. Like, and it's just disgraceful how how the like the high level athletes get treated. Like they get they're so so many like literally poor like broke. 
Um, really? It's insane. Yeah, we the system in Australia like it's pretty good in comparison. It's in, yeah, it's interesting. Interesting that you say that. You feel like there's not that I guess support necessarily in the other countries, yeah. especially like I feel like Australia for such a small country, we consistently do really well in the Olympics. Do you think it's because like programs like the Australian Institute of Sport, the AIS, just offers such great support to its athletes? Yeah, definitely, and maybe maybe it's because we there's not not so many athletes in Australia compared to France, so maybe that that's also why it works. Um, but I, I feel like there's just so much support, much more support here in Australia than, than there is in France. I, I could be wrong, like I don't know, don't know the numbers exactly, but. Yeah, yeah. Just from your just from your experience, but I'll, yeah. I'll tell you what, though, halves. I don't think there's any questions though that even if uh, Lucien was in France, mate, he'd still be mixing it with the best. Have you looked at his World Cup results? He's been absolutely smashing it. I mean, f- is it f- three silver medals from the World Championships? Uh, I think I've gotten three silver medals at the World Cups. World um, Cups, yeah. My my best results at the the World Champs was fifth. Um, that was in 2014. Um. I've gotten like yeah six medals on on walkups um, so far. Right, so so doing pretty well for yourself. So what is it like competing on those big stages? Um, it's it's good. <laughs> it's good. It's, it's, I, think, I think even you know even with time, it's still um, a little bit like you know a little bit scary, intimidating. Um, you you get more comfortable with age, but not not that much because I don't think we race. We don't race a lot compared to, I think, all the sports and especially like, I don't know, like the tennis players, for example, who they'd be competing all year round, whereas like we we train the whole year and we have like these few races in, in the European summer and that's it. Like we go back home and go back to training. <laughs> so we don't, we don't actually get to train, uh, get to race that much internationally. Mm, so... I believe it's uh, uh, like like you mentioned, and like you mentioned, three silvers and three bronze at uh, World Cups. So, does coming so close but not quite getting that gold give you extra drive to get to a gold medal in um, any competition, really? But the Olympics, more specifically, as it's so topical at the moment. Yeah, I mean, look. So, sort of, it's it's always the goal to win, and and fortunately, it's it's come close a few times. But um, yeah, <laughs> just like just really close. Um, yeah, the games is going to be interesting. Um, I haven't competed against the others like in eighteen months, I think. Um, so at least we we get a bit of a warm up with the first two World Cups in Prague and Leipzig um, in June. So. At least I'll get to gauge where where I am at the moment. Um, but it was the same in in twenty sixteen. Like we we had um we had two walk ups and and straight into games. I felt like I, that year I felt like I didn't really get to race enough. And well, this year is kind of the same, but for different reasons. <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, you've been you've been in pretty good form though, leading into it for the qualifying in twenty twenty. Like you won the Oceania uh, Championship, is that correct? And also the yeah. the Australian Open, not not yeah. the Tennis Australian Open for our listeners. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, but um, it's so you're 30, 33. Now it's thirty two. Sorry, you're thirty two at the moment. Um, so. 
you've uh, been at the 2016 Olympics, which we'll get into in a bit. Obviously, you're going to compete in these Olympics. Um, I'm not too sure what, what's the kind of prime years of a kayaker and when kayakers, uh, the typical age for retiring. But how many Olympic cycles do you reckon you've got left in you? Do you reckon you're coming to an end or really just hitting your prime now? Uh, I reckon I've got at least one. Um, I don't think I've got the patience for two more. Um, and uh, to be fair, like we, we don't even know what's happening for 2028. Like I didn't, I didn't hear any news. So hopefully the co-canoeing is still at the games. Um, it's always been a bit tricky because, like I, like I said earlier, canoeing costs like so much money. And because of the quarter thing at the games, we don't really have that many paddlers. So the cost uh, versus paddler, like amount of paddlers is just, yeah, it's pretty outrageous. Um, also, you think that they, it might not be an Olympic sport due to the cost? Is that what you're saying? Well, we almost got kicked out in uh, 2000. So, and the thing is, like, all the courses that have been built in the last few years of so Sydney, Sydney was actually probably the best design because it didn't cost much at all to build. But all the old courses since, like Athens, London, and even Rio, they've cost, like, way too much money. So we're going to get kicked out. Like, <laughs> well, yeah. Well, what, speaking of courses, because now you've brought up the course, but what about how do you think the twenty twenty courses? Because you've you've seen the twenty uh, the Tokyo course before, and I think you're quite vocal in that you weren't a big fan of it, and you weren't sure if it'd be ready for the Olympics. How do you know that? Oh, we've got <laughs> we do our research mate. here. Yeah, we do our <laughs> we do our research. It's funny. No, it's funny you mention that because, like, it. I don't remember being vocal about it, but indeed, like, uh, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> I, it's, it's an absolute joke. Like the, <laughs> really? Yeah. What, the, yeah. What you're going to say is not canoe slam. It's too small. Like the thing is a uh, grade two. It's too small. Yeah. Oh, really? So what, why they done that? Is it to cut costs or? No, because the thing like, still costs like way too much money, but it's just the way they designed it. I think they maybe they messed up the gradients. So it's either there's not, I, I think it's just the way they put the obstacles. So they use essentially it's a concrete channel and you put plastic, you know, plastic obstacles and then you can move them around. So you can play with it, make it, you know, make it completely different. So that's, that's the whole point, but it's just the way it's been set up. It's, it was pretty poor. And we spent like two weeks there in 2019. And during that time, they didn't really um, they didn't really adjust it. So we spent like two weeks of training on. It was a shit course, yeah. That's so, dis- that's so disappointing though, because like the biggest, yeah. like one of the biggest stages of your sport. Yeah. It's like the like the last thing you want is that the arena not to be up to standard. Like, oh, that's professionals as well. Like this is your full-time job and you can't get a half decent course for like the, the biggest events. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a bit outrageous. Like considering the amount of money and time to spend like building that course and, and the results. Um, yeah. The Japanese should definitely get their money back. Like <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, can, it could be fixed potentially, but because, you know, because we didn't get um, so normally on an, on during the Olympic year before the games, you you get official training camps, and as you can imagine, then yeah, it didn't happen. So um, they they were supposed to modify that course like during the uh, the camps, and 
yeah, we're not too sure what's going to happen. So that's also why, because the course was so small, like the water was so, um, yeah, so low, like, so slow, really, like I decided to change boats. Oh, really? What? Yeah, why is that? Just why would, did you decide to change the boat? What's sort of the thought behind that? Well, the um, in 2019, I, I went there with my the boat I had at the time, and it just didn't work. Uh, I was I felt like extremely uncomfortable. Couldn't really get a good feel of the the water. I was I was just struggling like the whole time. So. Um, when I when I went back home, I decided they that I would compete um, the Olympic selections with with my current boat, and then after the selections, I would move to a different design, uh, so my own design actually, and I'm glad I did. And th- thankfully, I had a, a not like an extra year to get used to it. <laughs> yeah, unreal. And geez, not just also designs his own boats, harps. He's a man of many talents. And look, we won't be complaining about the course when Lucian comes home with gold I'll, I'll be I'll be happy with it then <laughs> but yeah I don't I don't think he will be either fingers crossed but, um, so <laughs> just throwing back we're talking about the 2020 Olympics or 2021 whatever you want to call it but I want to speak just a bit about the 2016 Olympics the other Olympics you've competed at so finished 17th I believe got, got a time penalty which was a bit controversial do you so do you mind going into that a bit for us yeah, that's the uh, touchy subject there. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so the first run was so for the. It's a bit different in the games. Like it's like the old system. So in the quals, you got two runs, and they take the best out of two. Um, so my first run was it was a bit average, I think, and I had a touch. So um, it wasn't like just wasn't great. And my second run was actually very quick. Um, I remember, I think I was the fastest until the bottom section and there was like a, a main, like the big drop at the end and there was a bit of a tricky move on that drop and then apparently it was, it was overly tight on one of the gate, um, which, yeah, I didn't, well, I didn't think it was the case, but anyway, uh, I was given a 50 seconds penalty. So um, that second run didn't count, obviously. So they took the first run and... It was just was it was too slow. Yeah, yeah, that's disappointing because you finished seventeenth and top fifteen yeah. went on to the semi final, so you just just yeah. missed out. You were in pretty good form, I guess, leading into that. Do you think like you you were a good chance of at least making the final, if not meddling that year? Yeah, I mean, like uh, especially looking at the splits, I was apparently I was pretty fast, but um, yeah, it's just stupid penalty. Uh, it's I, th- I think you were saying. Um, I've heard you say that an average race takes about 90 seconds. So 50-second time penalty, that's insane. Like imagine if like Usain Bolt, who can do like 100 metres in nine seconds, imagine if he got like four seconds tacked on that, he'd be finishing last in every race. Yeah, I mean, look, you miss a gate. Um, it, it, it's over. So what they chose like 50 seconds. Could have been 40. Doesn't really make a difference, but... Um, yeah, so you missed a gay or you go the wrong way. Uh, that's it. Like your race is, is done. That's crazy. I'll, yeah, because I was thinking like 50 or 15. I couldn't believe 50 seconds. That's, that is ridiculous. But I guess. And it would be shattering for you. Hey, like all, all the build up going into this competition and to, like a pretty, I think it's fair to say, pretty unfair time penalty just takes it all away like that. 
Yeah, uh, you're right. Like it was, it, it happens just like that, and you can't, you can't go back in time. Like that, it's that's it. Like it's 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 done. Um, it was pretty frustrating, especially since I was like, I think at the time I can't remember my world ranking, but um, he's ranked number three just, for, like, now for our listeners. Ranked to number three at the moment, yeah. At the moment, I think not, at the moment uh, seven. Seventh. Um, but I think at the time I would have been second, and but because. I was like, I was literally number one at the game, so I had to be number one. Yeah. Uh, so I was like the last off. <laughs> it was pretty oh, unreal. That's, wow. Yeah. That's <laughs> so disappointing, though, that that happened. But still, it just would have been unreal to be at the games in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. I mean, I was <laughs> after hearing your story about how you chose Australia before, I thought, mate, geez, maybe you'll be representing Brazil at these Olympics because he just it would have been an unreal experience going to that going there. Yeah. I mean, I was. It, it did kill like. A big chunk. It, it killed my experience at the games, like oh, that really? race. But, so you didn't really. Enjoy um, I, I still, you know, I still enjoy like the, you know, the opening ceremony was it something like that was unreal. Like yeah, even the closing ceremony was it, it was fun, but I think the opening ceremony was like it's it's something if you can if you can experience it like once in your life, like it's 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 good. All right, well, half extra, extra motivation. So Lucian said he's competing at the next one. I reckon we'll go for a twenty twenty eight Olympics. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. We're going to be going on a world tour. We're going to be going to the small I, French towns. I don't, I don't, know, what, so I don't know what sport. Hitting up the my halves. I, don't, I don't know what sport we're going to be looking at, but they, they add in a few more each year. So look, they might have one for people. They might add a sport in for people without talent. And if they do, that is us two written all over it. Exactly. We'd love well, to go to the podcasting Olympics. That would be great. <laughs> um, <laughs> but So 2016, I, I think we should move on for that because it's – yeah, it's probably not something that you want to go into too much. It's a probably well, it would hurt for anyone a lot, and it's just shattering. So, moving to the twenty twenty Olympics, twenty twenty one, whatever you want to call it. So, what, what, what's the big goal for you coming to this? Is it is it gold? Is that is it gold or bust? Um, well, look, gold would be nice, but <clears throat> what, what, what's I don't know. What's crazy uh, to be honest is the. At the moment, the goal is to actually take part. Um, Just happy to be there. If, if you get it, so if you get tested positive, like at the terminal in Tokyo, that's it. Really? So, are you are you going to be rocking up in a hazmat suit? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the, at, at the moment, the goal is to to yeah to to, to be to be cautious, like safe, to well not get infected, essentially. Um, and like train properly, obviously, but it's yeah, it's really frustrating because in, in Rio, like, we I don't know if you remember, it was like that Zika virus thing, yeah, I, I don't um, know. that was huge, yeah. Like, I wasn't too worried at the time because there was nothing about you know being not allowed in the village or whatever, but yeah, this time it's different. Like, you even if you're fine, like, you. You don't show symptoms. You're not sick. Like if you test positive, you that's it. It's finished. And um, I'm just having a look now. Japan is still getting five, six, seven thousand cases every day. And um, obviously, you're going to be in Europe just beforehand, where it's the virus definitely isn't over there, or it's not over anywhere. But it's still running pretty wild in certain parts of Europe. So, you feeling a bit scared about it? Um, look, I'm, I don't don't really feel confident about it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to try and be smart 
So just limit, you know, limit the amount of exposure, um, limit the travel, um, the traveling and just it's not going to be, it's good. I think it's going to feel like quarantining like the whole time. Yeah. Right. So it's not very exciting. No. How much of the uh, kind of uh, anti, well, like how much of the precautions that you take uh, when you're over in Europe and in Japan, um, but especially over in Europe, are going to be your decisions and how many are like enforced by governing bodies and uh, the certain competitions and stuff? Are, are they really strict on it or is it a personal decision for you and some other people might just run wild in Europe doing what they want? Um, look, I, I'm not 100% sure, but the... I know, I know it's going to be strict, so there will be rules. Um, from what I was saying, that the Euros, like a couple of weeks, uh, a couple of weeks ago in Italy, they um, they pretty much had to wear masks like the whole time. So they could take off the mask like when they got in the water, and they had to put it back on as soon as they got out. So stuff like that. That's that's pretty strict, but it's um, I think it's going to be like it's going to be normal, I guess. Yeah, mate, hundred percent. Well, it's normal for them. Like for us, it's you know we've had it like pretty good. Yeah, well, we've been, we've been we've been super lucky, and I yeah. guess just I do think that the uh, the like the Olympics being delayed has that hampered your preparations at all, or has it been a good thing and potentially giving you more time to train, or has it sort of stunted your preparation a bit? I'm not sure. Um, it gave me more time to get used to to my boat, which was good, but. Having said that, like that year, like last year, I was I was no, I was doing pretty well. Like I I raced really well, selections. I was pretty fit. I was I was really eager to to compete at the games. Um, yeah, I, I don't know I don't know if it helped me. Like I just I used that that's you know extra time to to focus on on fitness because it's it was always a uh, um, a weakness for me, but. I don't know, but personally, I would have would have preferred to race last year. Yeah, and how much racing did you do last year? Because obviously, being in Australia, it's just for, well, for um, yeah, being in Australia, it's like we had strict lockdowns for a certain amount of time, but not so much compared to Europe. So, did you get to race at all? Uh, well, no. So we raced the uh, Oceania in. That was in Auckland and then the Australian Open in Penrith, like in, in at the end of Feb. And that's it. That was, that was it. So we went, we had a team announcement and then I can't remember, I think it was like two, three weeks later, we, um, the games were postponed and yeah, that was it. So we didn't race like that year. Yeah, geez, I guess it will be hard, sort of. But you've got to, at least you've got a couple of races leading up to the Olympics, mate. I saw you smash it. I'm predicting all gold in the two world championship, I think, events you said you had on it, of course, at the Olympics. I've just got a quick question. We covered the refing a bit before, but I know in, I think it was 2017, you, um, you uh, wrote like an open sort of letter. I guess explaining like your frustration with I guess the judging in your sport with the flags. Like, I think there was an example in a race in Europe where um it was said you touched a flag, then video replay showed that you didn't and you weren't given the benefit of the doubt, doubt which the rules say. Could you please I guess if you're happy to talk about a little bit about your frustrations regarding that? Yeah, so it was the thing is that wasn't the first time. So in twenty thirteen also um 
also got uh, got given a uh, 50 seconds penalty, which uh, I didn't think I deserved. Um, the video at the time was really unclear as well, and um, that's what happened at the games as well in 16 and then 17. The difference, I think, was 17 in 2017. So that was in Prague. That was during the World Cup. Um, it was it was a final run, so I should have been third, and they gave me the touch uh, at the end of the run. And the video, the, in this case, the video was so clear um, that could have used it like no problem. But they decided not to for like no reason. And that's why I wrote that that thing on on um, on Facebook and. Yeah, I just it was like crazy, and the thing, the, the create like the other crazy thing as well is the one of my competitors, Yuri Pushkovic, a local, um, was given a touch as well on the, on, the, on the exact same gate, but his came off, my didn't. So do they? Do you think that's uh, because he was a local? I don't know, potentially, but it's. I didn't think because I saw his run, I didn't think he touched it. It was. That, it was crazy, like how how we got treated differently. That that's the thing. So it was a judge's call. Like maybe they saw it, maybe they didn't. Um, but the the problem was the way the penalty was was um, was analysed. So you look at the two videos, and and you can clearly see that in both cases we didn't touch the gate. But the the, the yeah the fact is like mine um, yeah mine stayed and his didn't. So, yeah, sounds like the yeah, sounds like the judge. Took a quick stop before going to uh, going to Prague. He went to um, Amsterdam before coming to judge the event. <laughs> I should I shouldn't say that, but judges like it's you know they they do it for like it, it, we were lucky to have the judges. Um, and what what was frustrating is the way the the um, the uh, the protest uh, system just just didn't work um they could they could clearly see and I, that, that was a bullshit part of it like they, they could see i didn't touch the gate but they, they just they just wouldn't do anything about it um so i was like could, could not like we, we could not as a team we could just could not understand like have, have you seen improvement in the sport in regards to that in regards to the officiating since like you sort of penned that letter over the last couple of years yeah so during that, like even even the falling competition, sorry, man, there's a few things that happen even at the Worlds. But after that, I think in 2018, it was pretty good. Like there weren't many, um, too many issues, I don't think. So I, I just, I'm not too sure what they changed or if they just really, they started to um, actually follow the rules. Because that was the thing, in 2017, they did not follow the rules. Like they, it was clear, uh, it was clear violation but yeah. Oh, uh, that just sounds disorganized, really. It just doesn't sound like pe- people are getting what they deserve, clearly. But um, uh, I'm really interested uh, to know where, when you've kind of released these public statements and vented your frustrations, have you received direct responses from governing bodies, officials, anyone that's at a fairly high up um kind of status uh yeah it's funny you mentioned that um i did uh a few days later i got a uh i got a fairly not not an angry email but yeah i got an email from the icf so the international canoe federation um i can't yeah yeah, so i got i got an email from them and they weren't too happy about it um (laughs) what did they say 
They they try to explain uh, why the uh, the penalties too, and and they also but that's the thing. They also said that sometimes you know there can be you know wrong calls. So that was like it's a bit like it's a bit frustrating because they they in a way they kind of agreed that they could have messed up, um, but essentially it was like they, they said that you can't. You can't write that. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's putting the ICF into uh, disrepute, um, and we don't want to, you know, take sanctions against you. So, um, yeah, it was <laughs> a, bit, a little bit intimidating. But I, I don't think I should have done that, like the way they did it. But yeah, it is. Yeah. What it is. So that is, I guess, can't change it now. But it's just not very good to see such uh, kind of high-ranking governing bodies and officials treat their athletes like that. But we, we've covered a whole lot of fascinating stuff in it in a pretty broad range of topics. So a uh, question we always ask our guests just before we get to our final little fun segment of the show, have you got a life philosophy, Luciana? Any, any kind of mantra or quote or kind of principle that guides your decisions throughout your life and career? Oh, absolutely not. Uh <laughs> I can't, I can't really think of – I can't really think of one, no. Fair enough. That's all just right. Just take it all as it comes. <laughs> you mean like a, like a motto or just like a, a way well, of life? Yeah, kind of – yeah, like a motto or a kind of a, a principle, if you, if you know what that means or – yeah. Like if you haven't got one, you don't have to answer Yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I've never really thought about it. I think I, I've – you know, I've got a few principles like in you know, probably in life or like within sports. I don't know if I've got one that that really. I would say I, I think. I, no, actually, I would say this. Like in you know, when it comes to sport, um, we didn't really touch on that. But I was when I started, I was um, I was I was really shit, and that's why I stopped because I hated it. Um, Sounds like me at most sports, again. except I don't start again. <laughs> yeah, like. I was I was really I was not talented at all, um, and funnily enough, the you know part of my study was uh, studies was um, talent identification. So in my case, I was not talented at all. Like if you had tested me or assessed me at the time, you would have you know noticed that I was just I wasn't good enough. So I think I, I would say this in 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 a case of um, sports. You just got to be, as an athlete, you got to be mindful of, of um, talents or like other other talented people, and, and not to try not to be frustrated because, like, for some people, it just takes longer to 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 get better in in any sport. Um, I wasn't like I wasn't again. I wasn't gifted. Like it just took me so long to get to a good level, and then and then suddenly it was like I was I was actually paddling well. Um, sometimes you just, you know, you just need um, a bit more time than the others. And I was, that was a frustrating bit when I was like 15, 16, when I moved to Poro, when I joined this um, high level uh, junior program, I was, I was training with people like better than me, but I thought I was okay. I thought it was good, but they just, some of them, like most of them, I, you, I was probably the youngest uh, to be honest, but they just paddled better, you know, and it took me quite a while to to catch up, and that was like the first thing, like quite frustrating. 
Um, but yeah, I, w- I would say you got, you got to be patient. And we've lost in Australia. We've got we've lost quite a few paddlers because they made a team in juniors and they could not make the team in under twenty threes. Under twenty threes is such a huge step up. Um, it's just a full of frustration and disappointment. Uh, for years, you're not going to make the team. Um, and that's that's quite hard to accept. And it was quite hard for me because in France, like, you went from juniors to under 23 as a savage. Like, the difference of level was absolutely savage. Um, yeah. So it's pretty, yeah, that's really, accept- yeah. yeah. It's really inspiring, well, mate. Yeah, it's that... Lockie's got spot on there. Really inspiring attitude to have, kind of um, not being the most talented athlete out there, but now you're like competing right up with the kind of big stars of the paddling world, and it's just amazing to see. I hope uh, all of all of our listeners can take a little bit of inspiration or motivation out of it. But I definitely have. Same here, hundred percent. But of course, we've got to get to our final segment. It's a very fun, very famous segment. It's the Where Do We Begin quiz. So, Lucien, Lockie, Lockie, you know the drill. I've got five questions. They're all related to Lucien and his career, his life and career. They've got a loose connection, uh, no pun intended, uh, to his life and career. So, are you ready to get into it, guys? All right. Let's go. (laughs) Okay. Always happy to win. (laughs) Your name is your buzzer. So, we'll start with question one. So, Am I correct in saying uh, that your birthday is the 22nd of December, 1988? It's not for the points, but is that right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so 22nd of December, 1988. So I'm going to read out the lyrics to the song that was number one in Australia on the 22nd of December, 1988. So you two, whoever wants to buzz in first can buzz in whenever you want. And if you get the right answer, you get the point. It has to be a Christmas song, doesn't it? We'll see how it goes. So, we'll start. Uh, I'll start. I won't sing, but I'll read it. So, here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note. Don't worry. Be happy. In every life, we have some trouble. But when you worry, you make it double. Don't worry. Be happy. Don't worry. Be happy now. Don't worry. Be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. Lucky? Don't, <laughs> be lucky? happy? Incorrect. <laughs> oh, I'm surprised you two haven't got this before. It's a pretty iconic song. Uh, Lucy, oh. do you want to have a crack? Do you want me to keep reading? Uh, it's just, I, I can't, you're really not going to gain much from me reading more. <laughs> I think if you haven't got it now, you're not going to get it. I'm a singer. Well, I'll, I'll just give you the answer. It is Don't Worry, Be Happy by Bobby McFerrin. Jeez, as if you didn't pay, pay Be Happy. Well, it's not the name of the song, is it? Oh. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. Everyone knows Don't Worry, Be Happy is the name of the song. So Mate, I can't Harper, give you the point. I reckon you're mates with the bloody officiating team in our <laughs> canoe. Bloody hell, mate. <laughs> well, well, we'll put a poll up on our Insta story for our <laughs> listeners so they can check it out there. Well, what do you think, guys? It was number one for six weeks in Australia. It was a pretty big song. I'm surprised yeah. you don't know it. It's got a very catchy kind of whistling uh, hook a bit later on. But anyway got a question two. We got off to a flying start here, guys. We'll go to question two. Uh, so, uh, Pape Ete, is that how you pronounce your birthplace, Lucien? Uh, Pape Ete, yeah. 
Papete. Okay. So the distance from Papete, uh, the capital of French Polynesia, to Tokyo, of course, where you'll be playing in, uh, competing in the Olympic Games, is 9,486 kilometers. And it's about 14 hours by plane, if my research is correct. So going directly from Papete to Tokyo, how many countries would I fly over? None. Lucien's got it absolutely correct. All right. He's, he's got the first point of the quiz. I like to see that. Lucien gives a little fist bump. Nothing little about it, mate. Nothing little about that beat. That was massive. <laughs> he, he won't be able to wipe the smile off his face for the rest of the night, I can tell. But anyway, moving on to question three. So uh, I believe you won silver, one of your silver medals at the World Cup at um, Mark Leiberg in Germany. Uh, you won it on the 1st of September, 2019. So something else that uh, probably it's not very significant, uh, but something else that happened on the same day was entrepreneur uh, Jack Dorsey uh, having his Twitter account hacked. So can you tell me who Jack Dorsey is? What is Jack Dorsey known for? Mate. Did he, no make the, did he just make this person? Uh, I want to say he's an he's an entrepreneur. Uh, he's an entrepreneur. That's what he's famous for. I'll lead to something a bit more specific. Uh, I'll give you a clue. Uh, pe- people found it uh, a bit uh, ironic, I suppose, that he had his Twitter account hacked. Is he the head of Twitter? Owner of Twitter. He's the CEO and co-founder of Twitter. He's got the point. I had to give him a bit of a nudge, but I'll pay uh, that one. I'll pay that one. He's leveled up one all. Anyway, yeah, move to question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think Lockie had any chance of getting that without the clue, but whatever. Oh. Uh, so <laughs> question four. Uh, so another one about your birthday, your ninth birthday this time, uh, the 22nd of December, 1997. Great so, day. Great, great day. day. Great day. I bet Lucy was, was that one of, Was that one of your me- more, yeah, more memorable birthdays? Your ninth? Honestly, cannot remember. He was partying so hard he can't remember a thing. But anyway, uh, on that on that day, which two retired figure skaters pre-recorded a show to air on Fox the next year? What? Michelle Wu? I don't know. I don't know. That's that's like the only (laughs) figure skater I know. You've probably heard of these. uh, At least one of these people. I think. Blades of Glory, Will Ferrell. <laughs> <laughs> I think if if you asked most people around town to name two figure skaters, they'd name these two people. There was oh. a movie about it a couple of years ago. Okay, no, you don't look very hopeful. It was uh, Nancy Kerrigan and, of course, Tonya Harding. Have Never heard of them, of them before, Never mate. Never heard of them. Oh, there was a massive, massive, massive thing about Tonya Harding, uh, like basically hiring someone uh, allegedly to like chop Nancy Kerrigan in the ankles or something, or chop her in the legs to uh, get a bit of. Uh, she, she got jump that. She got that tactic from Blades of Glory. I can confirm. <laughs> yeah. Well. Anyway. This quiz uh, is not going too well so far. I think I might have made it a bit hard. But anyway, move to question five. It's one all. This question, oh, it's you, either of you can still win. You, one of you could win big because it's a who am I question. So I'm going to go down from five points all the way down to one point with a series of clues, of course, leading to who I am. So once you buzz in and get it wrong, 
you can't buzz in until the other person gets it wrong. So we'll start with a five-point clue for the Who Am I? I was born on November 11, 1974 in Los Angeles, California, and have an estimated net worth of almost as much as Lucien makes from his canoeing, $330 million <laughs> Aussie dollars. <laughs> Doing well for yourself, Lucien. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll move to the four-point clue. I'm the only child of Ermelin, a legal secretary, and George, a comic book writer of Italian and German descent. Bit tricky there. I'll move to the three-point clue. So, I began my career uh, by appearing in television commercials in the late 1980s and had my first major film role as Tobias Toby Wolf in 1993's This Boy's Life. Should I move it on to the two-point clue? Move it on. Okay, I'll move it on for, for two points. I received my first Academy Award in 2016 when I won Best Actor for my role as Hugh Glass in The Revenant. Lockie. Lockie. Leon- Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh. He has got it absolutely correct. Leonardo DiCaprio, of course, same initials as Lucien Delfour. LD is a great man, uh, almost as great as Lucien. So uh, he's got the points. He's, Lockie's won at 3-1. Congratulations, Lockie. Good stuff. Round of applause, we said. The crowd goes wild. <laughs> anyway, uh, I think that, uh, we'll leave it there. Uh, so, Lucien, it's been a pleasure having you on. It was really interesting to chat to you. And uh, thanks again, mate. It's been awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Um, no, it was great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much. It was an absolute pleasure, mate. Can't wait to uh, watch you uh, win gold at the Olympics. I'm looking forward to the shout-out too. I an absolute Belter of an episode. Absolutely love that, Lucy, and absolutely smash that. Thank you so much for coming on. It was an absolute blast. Okay, I'm going to make a bold statement here. Bold, bold, big statement. I reckon that might have been the best kayaker we've ever had on the show. Do you agree? You do realise I'm on the show, don't you, Harps? Haven't you heard about my legendary 2K kayaks over an hour? Yeah, well, set serious records with that. Oh yes, you did set serious records indeed. Famous, of course, but uh, I, I want to keep our guests happy. You know, I've got to give praise to the guests. But anyway, speaking of guests, speaking of praise, let's let's chat a little bit about our uh, latest little initiative. So rather than taking on any sponsors at the moment, we've just set up a little uh, buy us a coffee. So basically, if you have any spare dollars, if um, you've got up on the pokies, <laughs> if your grandma's giving you 20 bucks for your birthday and you've got, you got a little bit of money around the house and you, ha- you want to donate $1, $2, $3, you know, we'll even take four and you want to support us, please just go down to the uh, the link that Har- Harpsy Boy will tell you. <laughs> uh, yes, I will tell you it because Lockie seems to have forgotten. Uh, it's <laughs> buymeacoffee.com forward slash where do we begin? Simple as that, buymeacoffee.com forward slash where do we begin that's no capitals at all all lowercase there you go we'd really appreciate guys not taking any shit advertising blood money anything like that we just appreciate all the support we get for giving you this little free quality service that we think it is so yeah it would be really appreciated yep you summed it you summed it up well there harps and i uh, just thanks to all the listeners again and looking forward to the episode next week oh another olympics episode and another awesome episode See you then, guys. Thanks for listening.